as, I, as you may have heard, my name is Mitchell. Before we jump into this time of worship and grow together, uh, I'm going to pray for us real quick. Lord, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you for the wonderful opportunity we have to uh, just be with you, uh, to be with the Holy Spirit, and to worship you, spend time reflecting on you, and spend time thinking about the communities around us. Lord, I pray that you will open all of our hearts and minds to how you call us this evening, and that you will remind us to use this time fruitfully. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So today, we are here continuing our study in the book of Nehemiah. To catch you up on previous episodes, if you have missed, if you don't know where we're at, the Israelites were taken captive in Babylon. The Babylonians destroyed everything. The Israelites are now in exile. And if you go to main service, you'll hear all about what exile is like. But Ezra and Nehemiah, these two people, they wanted to rebuild the temple and the city as a whole. They wanted to rebuild the walls. And so now we are looking at how Nehemiah has prayed faithfully and wants to rebuild the wall around Israel. He's been praying for months and months and months. And he's been petitioning, he's been fasting, he's been putting in work. And so now he's ready to ask the king. He's doing the big ask today. We learned last week with Curtis, as I mentioned, that Nehemiah faithfully went to the Lord. And this week, he's putting everything into action. Last, er, okay, we're going to take a look at what the passage says for us today. We're looking at Nehemiah 2, verse 1 through 9. It's not going to be on the screen. Ha <laughs> ha! You're going to do it on, you're going to pull it up on your phone or paper Bible, but your phone. We're going to read it all together here. Verse 1 says, In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests, so I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. All right, so there it is. At first glance, like a ton of what we're reading here in Nehemiah, it looks like a very descriptive passage. It doesn't have any maybe direct instruction for us. It just kind of seems like Nehemiah is being a Debbie Downer and fishing for somebody to ask him what's wrong. But 
and he ended up getting what he wanted, so it worked, but, and that's all partially true. But if we know that Nehemiah has spent a significant amount of time in prayer, he's spent a significant amount of time fasting, we can conclude that everything he does here is very premeditated. He spent a ton of time thinking about it. Everything he did here was very calculated. And since he was, uh, we believe that he was in touch with the Lord, he was, uh, he was spending so much time with him, and we know that he was a righteous person, we can look at what he did and use it to set an example for us. So we're going to dig in a bit deeper, but first we're going to look at this through the lens of our big idea tonight. And that is a firm foundation, I don't even know my big idea, is built on the priorities of the kingdom. A firm foundation is built on the priorities of the kingdom. It starts out in the month of Nisan. That's what we looked at last week. And that is about or sorry, that is what we're looking at this week. It is about four to five months after Kislev. Kislev is just the cold season. So that's what we would see as November, December now. But it's about four to five months after. Nehemiah has been spending all that time in prayer. He's been fasting and he's been petitioning. Nehemiah is the king's cupbearer, meaning that he gets a bit or he gets a sip of the king's juice, not wine. It was definitely not wine. It was juice. It was always grape juice. But he gets a sip of the king's juice before he drinks it in order to make sure that it's not been poisoned. It's to make sure that it's safe juice. You know, a lot of poison in the juice those days. But this is Nehemiah's full-time job. He's been doing it for a while, and he's good at it, apparently. I can't really imagine somebody being a bad cupbearer, but he is a good one. And today, he is in a bad mood. It's like in Charlie Brown when Lucy is mean to Charlie and he sulks on home. There wasn't, so there wasn't a live action Charlie Brown, but I'm just not allowed to make Arrested Development references, so, you know. Uh, but Nehemiah is sad. He is sulking around. And he is asking, or he's been asked now by the king, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I want you to all understand the risk that Nehemiah is taking by being sad around the king. There's likely lots of people around. He's, it's some sort of small get-together. His wife is there. But people are, people are happy. They want to be in a good mood. They want to be in good spirits. And Nehemiah is just, he's just sad. And he's not in like a, oh, I'm fine type mood. He is, he is sad. He's wiping tears. He's doing the whole, the whole show. But Nehemiah is also completely expendable. He could be just replaced at an instant. So what he is doing here is pretty dangerous. Nehemiah is being a total buzzkill. And the king could honestly kill somebody who's being a buzzkill. Some people actually think that Nehemiah was acting so sad, or that he was being so sad that he was actually acting. He was just putting on a show so that the king would ask him what was wrong. And you know those types of people who are like, don't talk to me. Real friends know what's up. Like that type. Like some people think that's, that's what he was doing. But we're going to go with the conclu conclusion that he was truly so sad, he was truly mourning so much that it was so obvious. Nehemiah responds to the king after the king asks him what's up, and he says, may the king live forever. That's like saying, God save the queen. It's just a 
general sentence. But he goes on to say, Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Imagine you are just like walking in the woods in Glacier National Park where there's a bunch of bears. And then you're, you're in a pretty dangerous situation. There's grizzly bears around. But then you just decide, you know, I want to make myself extra vulnerable. I'm going to wrap myself in meat. Now you're, extra, you're in an extra dangerous situation. That is what Nehemiah has now walked into. He's been sad around the king, which is strike number one, and now he's, asked, or he's answering very rhetorically and saying, why shouldn't I be sad? Things suck. He's, he is just risking everything right now. And the king, the king knows that Nehemiah is an Israelite. He knows that his city is in ruins. He, he knows all these things. This isn't news to him. But Nehemiah goes ahead and says that. Somehow the king isn't upset yet. Nehemiah and the king apparently have great rapport. And he, the king responds, what is it you want? Nehemiah then in this book tells us that he prayed to the God of heaven. And this is where we get our big idea today, that a firm foundation is built on the priorities of the kingdom. We see and we saw in the last chapter that Nehemiah is constantly in prayer. This attitude of prayer that he displays shows us that he's not trying to do anything out of selfish gain or selfish ambition. When the king asks him what's wrong, he could have just said, ugh, the warranty went out on my stone tablet and it cracked, so, you know. But instead, Nehemiah prays. He takes a second and looks to God before answering this question. And this is a normal conversation between Nehemiah and the king, so it's not like he just was like, oh, dear God. It's likely that he just took a deep breath, meditated for a second, and then responded. He responds and says, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, city in Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Nehemiah has now made his request. He then goes into the particulars about what he needs, what letters he needs, the resources. He has clearly done his education. He's researched what he needs to build the wall, to build his house, to build the citadel, everything. But I want us to focus here on Nehemiah's ask. I want us to sit in the task presented to him and how he carried it out. Nehemiah was working a job as a cupbearer, but he was also a follower of the Lord. Nehemiah wasn't a priest. He didn't work in the temple. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't specifically called out by God that we see. He was just a guy. Nehemiah was a guy who prayed to the Lord faithfully. And he was, in, he was so in touch with the Lord that he had no question what God wanted him to do with his life. He cared for his fellow Israelites, and he wanted to care for them by protecting them and honoring his ancestors. And I want to stress here that Nehemiah was working a secular job. He was living in the world. He was working for a non-religious company, if you want to call a kingdom a company, but he was working. He wasn't working a religious job but he was accomplishing things for God's kingdom. 
Nehemiah refused to draw a boundary between secular work and sacred work. And he did this because his foundation was built on the priorities of the kingdom. And I think that's something that we struggle with a ton. It's absolutely something that I've wrestled with. More often than not, I'll label something as secular or non-Christian, and that way I don't have to work as hard at it. People might not connect whatever action I'm doing with my faith. I would hear Colossians 3.23 where it says, and everything you do, do unto the Lord. And I knew it, I heard it. But I'd say, all right, all right, that does not apply to the history paper that I'm writing. Okay, but the yard work I'm doing right now is not, that is not important for the kingdom. Or, I mean, how clean my room is or these dishes are is not going to impact my witness to people at school. But I'd be willing to guess that Nehemiah, the years before Nehemiah wanted to rebuild the wall, he could have thought, you know, me carrying a cup to the king is really not going to impact that many things. I'm in a pretty dangerous position anyway. But we see that over time, he has built a relationship with the king. He has worked hard for a long time. And it's paying off. The king cares for him. The king is asking him questions about uh, the types of resources he needs, and, and Nehemiah is able to answer, and the king cares for his safety. He wants to know when he's going to come back. The secular world and the sacred world in this have now collided. And God is using a secular leader of King Artaxerxes to carry out God's plan, to provide resources to God's plan. And I want us to absorb this idea that there is no like, inherent boundary for working for the church and, and working for companies in the world. As followers of Jesus, we are all called to ministry. And that's what Nehemiah shows us here. Every follower of Jesus is called to make disciples. I want us to think about this idea specifically at our schools. We compartmentalize our time at school quite a bit. We oftentimes will have different friends there, different talking points, different subjects of interest. Things are just different. But I want us to think about school as kingdom work. And this is where I reveal that I'm an undercover school counselor. But I just want you to think about it. Like, how often do you slack on homework because it just doesn't really matter? You've done the math. You know you can get an A. How often do you not want to maybe talk about the gospel at school because you can just invite them to church? And if they say no, you know, it's on them. It's, they said no. They, they could clear up their Wednesday nights. We think about our schools as some, like, random place that we have all been plopped into by happenstance, but what if our schools were missions fields? What if there was no difference between followers of Jesus here and when people are at school? What if you thought of yourself as a missionary at your school? Because I can tell you that's how Nehemiah viewed his life. He took personal accountability for the Israelites' safety, and he used his position of power in his circle to accomplish that, to accomplish what God's will was. So we're going to be doing something a little bit different tonight. Before we continue with a normal-looking ASM, we are going to worship and we are going to go to groups afterwards. 
But right now, we're going to break into groups. But not our normal groups. I'm going to have you all break up in groups based on your school. Oh, okay. We're not going to have a ton of time, so I'm going to need leaders to spread out. There's little papers around the room, but I'm going to need leaders to spread out to make sure that we get very quickly into prayer. But once I say go, I want you to all head over to where your school is. Find your school or district and meet with the people there and pray. Hold on. Hey, hold on. Shut up. Stop. Hey, quit talking. Hey, I'm not done. The bell doesn't dismiss you. All right. Once you get to your group, you're going to pray with the people there. I want you to, okay, you can figure out how the diagram works after. I know it's confusing. It doesn't, I get it. It's wrong. It's already been done. Stop complaining. All right. So you're going to, there's papers everywhere. You'll figure it out. All right. So you're going to meet, you're going to pray, pray for your school, pray for your teachers, pray for your administration. Most importantly, pray for God and that he will work in your school and pray for your one life. Pray for the person that you have decided to pursue. Not everyone has to pray, but I would encourage as many as are comfortable to do so. And then once your group is done praying, continue just praying silently on your own. And once we're done, we're going to invite you back in to finish up and worship. All right. I want you to think about how Nehemiah used his position to help God's kingdom, how he was working for God in his day-to-day life.